0: Hi, this is Tina Spangler of TLC Barrels and today's April 26th of 2022 and this is podcast number 89 made, made special for my virtual coaching group on Facebook. So um, I'm just going to get right into it today. Uh, this week's challenge for the group, I'm going to put it in there today. Uh, for mindset, for your mental toughness, I want to make sure everybody is doing a journal. You don't have to buy a fancy journal. You can just do it on a um, a three-ring pad of paper, whatever you want, notebook, um, and you should be logging your barrel races and your horse's care in there and the reason um, we started that at the beginning of the year with our goals that we set for the year is so that you always have a point of reference to go back and look at something and I also recommend not changing more than one thing at a time so you know what's working and what's not. For this skill this week I'm going to put a video in the group called the windmill drill or the cross drill and the reason I like it is you just use one barrel but you, it works a lot on uh, straight lines and fluid turns, even though the turns are mostly half turns. Um, when you do go around the barrel, that one is more of a three-quarter to a full turn as you go on to complete the cross and the windmill. And I like this drill uh, because it works on a lot of things. It works on uh, transitions. It works on softness. It works on getting the nose, picking up the shoulder, softening the rib cage. Um, It's just a really great drill to uh, execute the go cue, the rate cue, the turn cue, uh, everything you would use in a barrel run without over drilling the barrel run. And if you have a hot horse, you can do it at a walk or a sit jog. If you have a more lazy horse, you can transition with some post trot sit jog or loping. And um, again, it just really works on muscle memory. Uh, It's mainly going to be done two handed. Um because of the fact that you're changing the pattern so much, and the horse probably will need you to help them. But if you have a really advanced horse, and you're a very advanced rider, you can try to do it one-handed around the barrel, or in the turns, the corners, uh, as well. So let's see here. I just want to let everyone know, there will be an April uh, personal best drawing on May 3rd. So this weekend will count. I believe Sunday is the 1st. But Friday and Saturday is still part of April, but I'm still going to count Sunday. So um, anything this up till this weekend, if you have a personal best, let me know and I'll put you in the drawing uh, that we'll have on uh, Tuesday, uh, May 3rd. And um, just a little housekeeping. Um, I did a couple extra podcasts since last week so because I can't fit them all into this q and um, I did one on why you should keep a journal. Um, And it's about seven minutes long, so you may want to listen to that. I also did a podcast. It's about 30 minutes long, and it's about mental anxiety and how some people just blank out before they run or cause their horses to get alley issues, literally just from getting um, stressed and anxiety before competition and how journaling can help with that, um, So go ahead and listen to those two podcasts. I think they can be beneficial for your mindset, for mental toughness, uh, whether that's in competition or just in everyday life. Uh, The other thing I want to remind everybody, there is the members only website. I know a lot of you don't take advantage of it, but I really would recommend um, to get the complete value of my program. Which is literally worth a hundred bucks a month, much less a hundred and fifty a year uh, or fifteen dollars a month. so I would go to use all of those resources like this q and a podcast, like the video uh slow uh, critiques of your training and competition, also the The challenges I put in the group is, and the um, video training tips all week long. All of those things will give you an idea of my complete program that I've designed over the last 30 years. Um, But the website, the best part about the website, I know everybody's on Facebook because you're looking... At your family and friends stuff, and you're seeing what barrel races are coming up, and it's just more convenient, but remember, copy and paste the website into your browser. use the username and password that you've been given when you signed up and it's also in the group um and go ahead and go there because it's all organized by topic. so if you start at the bottom, you'll see a year's worth of I believe the challenges are at the bottom, a year's worth of challenges, and then there's cult starting. Uh, desensitizing, um, you know, everything from ground driving, lunging, uh, you know, bidding a horse up, all of that. And then there's the dry work, foundation, rider's cues, there's drills, um, there's uh, how to pattern your horse, how to add speed, there's, um, you know, extra care that I use as far as what bits and saddle and um, nutrition, essential oils All of those things are in there. There's all the drills that I do up at the top, I believe is a year's worth of the Q and A and every Q and A covers a topic that's very informative. So I would recommend keeping a notebook and taking notes because when you write things down, you retain it better and, um, and you remember it longer. So that's an advantage to writing things down. So the topic today is going to be what drill to use when, and it's out of my uh, TLC training notebook, chapter five, um, special exercises to improve your competition runs. So I'm going to touch on that a little bit today after the Q&A. If you do any um, challenges that I suggest or practice any of the videos that I uh, put in the group, send them to me. Um, I would love to use them uh, for training for the group, but also uh, as examples too. So right now, um, you know, I had set some goals in January of this year, just like all of you. And I think I set, I don't know, seven or eight goals. And two of them, unfortunately, I'm not able to do right now. Um, I pushed myself to get back in shape and to want to finish Rocky and compete on Briscoe. And unfortunately, my hip got worse. And then my knee got worse from compensating from my left hip to my right knee. So I went to the doctors to find a new x-ray showing that I have a fracture in my stress fracture in my femoral neck on my left hip and a cyst in my acetabulum. I don't know how you say it, but in one of those bones. <laughs> and then there's a, um, another issue with some sclerosis of the pubic synophis. So synophis. So anyways, too many things, but, um, so I'm meeting with the orthopedic surgeon between my May and June clinic And I'll probably have to get an MRI and then schedule for surgery because it's been two years hoping it would get better and it's only gotten worse thanks to horses and wear and tear of training horses for the last 25 years. So the reason I'm telling you this is it's going to be a little harder for me to make new training videos. So I'm going to take advantage of my lessons and my group members. If you guys want to send me in little videos that I can use, that would be awesome um, until I get my hip situated. And it'd be harder to have new material, even though I have a year's worth of material that we can always refer back to for new members. There's a, don't worry, there's a year's worth of material. And I've covered it all over the last, I don't know, I've probably made a video for everything over the last 10, 15 years. So um, let's see here. So anybody wants to help me out there, that would be awesome. And please say a little prayer that the doctor I'm going to see will get me fixed up and I'll be back to writing and and enjoying my horses again so um let's see here you know it's just life you know 55 now I've trained horses full-time since I was around 25 so it's just taken a toll so anyhow uh let's see here for shout outs um we had one two three four five six seven seven personal bests in the last week so congratulations to everybody that met a goal or had a win that's awesome um, I'm really happy for you and I've uh, done almost all the videos from the weekend. I got to work on Ashley's this morning as soon as this q and is over and then I've got Nancy and Avery to do. So if anybody else has videos, send them in to me. I usually work on videos half a day and then I have a half a day outside with lessons or um, barn chores and things like that. Today I need to mow. So anyways, um, So let's see, and I have a lesson this evening, so so let's see here, going right into the questions for um, the last week that came in, and the way the questions, if anybody's ever wondering, sometimes when you send me videos, you'll have a question with your video, and that's how the Q&A comes along, and sometimes you just send me a question, so I'll try to answer them in the group because I feel like someone else may have the same question. So I feel like if I'm answering for one person, it can benefit everybody else. Um, So one of the questions that came in was about flying lead changes. And I know I answered this for Jill not too long ago, but this was for someone in North Florida in the Panhandle. Um, And she asked about doing flying lead changes. Well, first of all, for your horse, you don't have to know how to do flying lead changes to teach a horse to lope the barrel pattern. What you what you want to do though is definitely know how to get your leads correctly in a circle and a straight line. Um, you also want to um, be able to do figure eights with maybe a simple transition and um, down to a trot and then get your lead. All of those things are important. Most of the time, horses, as you're teaching in the barrels, like let's say you lope around first, you can break to a trot and switch your lead there and then carry on to uh, loping the rest of the pattern on the correct lead, second and third. Um, the other advantage too is horses quickly figure out what feels more comfortable for them. So most of the time, horses will start changing their leads on their own. But if you always ask for the lead change as soon as you leave first, then um, whether you're trotting or loping, they will start at, they will start swapping that lead sooner, unless they're just a lazier type horse or going really slow. Then they may not swap until they get there, but I do like to teach it uh, early on. But for a flying lead change, there are four things you want to have in your horse. First, you should be able to get their nose laterally and also pick up their shoulder and move it out of the way. So, um, so when you get your nose in, you want to be able to pick up your shoulder and put your shoulder and ribs out. Um, and then, so let's say we're going to the right, I would use my right hand and my right leg by the front cinch to get the nose in the shoulder out. But then I want to take my left leg and put it in the back cinch and be able to push my hip in. If I'm able to walk in a straight line and get my horse to two track with the shoulder out and the hip in, that's going to be the beginning setup for a lead departure for the right lead. And then I would switch it the opposite when I go to the left. <clears throat> the next thing you want to be able to do is go from a walk to a lope in a straight line on the correct lead without needing to trot. Okay. Um, so that would be important as well for fine lead changes because they've got to be quick response to, uh, going from walk to canter because your, your lead, leads need to be very subtle when you ask for a fine lead change. Uh, The other thing you could do, number three, is a figure eight with the transition of a trot in the middle, Um, but don't let them trot a long time, just break down real subtle from a lope to a trot and immediately pick up the the uh next lead so if you only trot maybe a, a stride you know one horse's body length you know eight to ten feet and then you're swapping that would be important the next thing is to be uh, for flying lead changes I teach them generally in figure eights and you have to spend a lot of days in the saddle to get that um, you know, some horses are more sensitive than others, but you have to put a lot of time into it, a lot of repetition, same cues in the same place. So the same way you would ask cover your lead departure at a walk to a canter or a lope, that's how you would ask for it that way as well. So the next question was about steroid injections for front feet and hawks. They said that they do this on young horses and they feel like, um, you know, everybody does it. And what my opinion was on it, And I personally am not a fan of it. I don't think it's right. I think um, taking a four-year-old and injecting their steroids into their front feet and their hocks for a competitive advantage is not right um, because then you may be stuck doing it for maintenance for years after that. It may also have side effects that affect the longevity of that horse. And I know for me, when my hip got bad, it hurt so bad I needed to train horses. I had clinics coming up. I went to the doctors, they said I needed surgery. I said, well, what about a steroid injection? They said, well, we can try, but it's pretty bone on bone with bone spurs in there. So they tried, it gave me a relief for one month. So I continued to work after, you know, I, I made, they made me rest after the steroid injection because of putting all that fluid in there. And then they let me go back to work and for a month it felt good. And then it was worse after, so that's my own personal experience, so I can't speak for a horse, but I know um when you're making those decisions, I ran Briscoe for 15 years, never put any steroids in any of her joints. Um there was one time I let a vet put hyaluronic acid in her stifle and it actually Um, had a leak and it was not good. So, um, so you have to think of side effects. I actually know a client of mine had two 1D barrel horses die from hawk injection. something in the injection got the horse's hawk infected and they ended up um, getting an infection and dying. So it's not as casual as people want to make it sound like, oh, everybody does it. I don't think everybody does. Um, I do think people people do do it and, and they act like it's normal, but I personally would start with oral, um, you know, uh, joint supplements first. I use dynamite. So I like free, free and easy, but I've used cozaquin. It's been clinically, um, tested. You know, every horse is different. What's going to work? Um, if oral wasn't giving me enough, I might go to intermuscular with legends, I'm sorry, with Atiquan or IV with Legends, those are going to lube up the whole body basically and take care of the synovial fluid and the cartilage. And by doing uh, a muscle or IV um, injection, like I said, uh, Legends is IV and they have a different quality, a higher quality of it as well. Um, I don't know the name right offhand. And then there's the Atiquan, which is IV. Um, muscle shot and then um, I would do all that before I went into the actual joints and I certainly wouldn't do it just for a competitive edge if the horse wasn't in pain or in need um, it's not something I would do but again you need to discuss that with your vets and it has to be your decision with your vet and I uh, and you but but please don't go into it that it's just normal and that um, everybody does it and that You know you're doing it for the wrong reason. TLC is based on the horse coming first. Do you want to run a horse in pain? No. But are you doing it for competitive advantage? Then that may not be the right reason. You know, same same with your decisions for using Lasix and stuff. Is it your horse is a bleeder and you don't want them to be scared because they're drowning? Absolutely, you need to do something. And if the natural stuff doesn't work and you have to go to Lasix, I understand. But if you're doing it because you think it gives you an edge, that's the wrong reason to do it. So, um, anyways, uh, those are just some thoughts that have, you know, ride with heart, putting the horse before competition. Um, but again, I'm not saying there's not a place for any of that stuff. I'm just saying doing it for the right reasons and being aware of any RX has side effects and you have to decide uh, long-term if that's the best decision for the horse that's in your care. Next question, um, exhibitions. Uh, what's the best way to exhibition a novice horse or a free runner? So, um, I already put a video in the group on that. Um, but you want to slow down one speed always. If your horse suffers from no rate, you can even stop at the barrel on a loose rein. If they don't stop off body and voice, you can back them a couple steps. If they do listen, then you can go ahead and just, um, transition from maybe a post trot to a sit jog or a trot to a walk a lope to a trot but you know always think of slowing down if they work nice just go around the barrel once if they don't you can always go around the barrel twice um, also the next question is more of a comment um, it was brought to my attention that I hurt someone's feelings and I just want you to know I'm coaching probably I don't know 100 people a week right now and um, you know I'm doing lessons and clinics and in the group. And a lot of them don't even get posted in the group. I do them privately because that's how the people want them. Or I don't post their ones that maybe they they don't want them on there because I don't want to hurt their feelings. Um, you know, if they tell me, go ahead and share it, I will. But if I feel like it's something they don't want shared, I won't. Um, but when I when I critique people, I'm not doing it for any other reason other than to help you um to advance. Um, so if if ever I hurt your feelings because you've asked me a question, I answer you in a text. Um, I apologize because it's never my intention to hurt your feelings. Um, my tone of voice you can hear when I'm doing these podcasts, or if we're on the phone together or something like that, or even on your video critiques, you can tell that my my voice is not to be mean, but just to be uh, you know, giving you uh, constructive criticism, and I always try to be positive at the beginning and the end, find the good in it, Um, but again, some people have thinner skin, and some people want me to hit them hard, you know, and everybody learns differently, so if ever uh, I hurt someone's feelings, I definitely um, don't mean to, I may be, um, you know, I may be blunt, I don't sugarcoat things, I don't have time to be, you know, like, you know, I, I just don't get all, I guess I'm not that kind of girl that's all like, you know, yay, good job, woo You know, I get a little bit excited for you, but I'm not that kind of, you know, thing. So anyways, uh, if ever I hurt someone's feelings, I truly am just here to help. I'm never wanting to hurt you. Um, and I just, you know, I feel like gossip is a bad thing because I feel like, you know, uh, if people you know, are talking bad about someone else, they're probably talking bad about you too. So, so just be careful with that, you know, just, know that as a coach and a cheerleader for you guys, I do want you to grow and be the best. And sometimes the things I say may be hard to hear, uh, but they're my honest feelings. And um, again, they're not to hurt you. It doesn't mean I don't, you know, love you, respect you and and all of that. I'm just trying to communicate, uh, you know how I feel. So anyways, moving on. Uh, the next question was about beet pulp. If it was toxic, um, you know, and, and that's an interesting question. Um, and if you go off dynamite, I was trained by a holistic nutritionist at dynamite and they do have certain common, um, feeding boo-boos they call them. And um, the number one boo-boo is a failure to provide adequate um and appropriate hay. So, you know, horses are meant to be browse, um, grazers and they need access to grass or hay, ideally 24-7. And in a slow feeder would be good because we don't want them to get really fat and we don't want them to gorge themselves and get an impaction colic, especially if you feed those round bales and stuff. Impaction colics with coastal hay is huge here in Florida, which is sad. I've seen people have $10,000 vet bills because of that. So if you have free feeders, um, you know, hay bags that you can put low so it's better for their teeth. Um, you know, if you have the, you know, uh, just you know, there's a lot of nice slow feeders that you can put down on the ground, things like that. Um, but appropriate haze would be like Orchard, Timothy, Bermuda um, brome, meadow grass. A lot of people in Florida, we feed alfalfa, uh, legumes, you know, like peanut hay and stuff. You know, we always want to watch our protein, our sugar, and our starch contents. Every horse has different needs and you want to try to keep a balance. Um, you want to not do all one thing and not the other because everything offers its benefits. So, so quality hay and make sure they have, you know, access to it. Um, and again, knowing your horse and what they can handle for protein and sugar and starch and all of that is important as well. Um, the next one, uh, number two boo-boo is sweet feed or too much grain in general. None of my horses get any grain right now, um, because they don't need it. You know, they get a handful of uh, apple treats or maybe a handful of a senior feed in the morning just so they get their little bit of, um. Like you know, something they might need a medicine or a vitamin or something like that. But they don't really get anything. You know, a handfuls like a treat, not not a half a scoop or a scoop or any of that. But I understand with people that are competing or or they have hard keepers, they may need more than just hay um, for their horses. But but be aware that sugar is not good. It can build up in the muscles and lactic acid and cause tie up issues. Um, some horses can develop oat allergies so there's things you can look at for high fat low starch which would be better than sugar grain like your sweet feeds and such that's not going to be as good for the horse um, number three would be failure to support digestion and um, detox so stress antibiotics warmers uh, chlorinated water, uh, chemical fertilizers and pesticides that are on a lot of the hay and feed that we have. Um, they all can mess up the horse's digestion and organs and the way that they process and eliminate things. So um, I like the probiotics or prebiotics. Um, Dynamite offers something called Dynapro. So my horses do get that on their little handful Um, that they get in the morning. It's just a couple cc's. Um, And then most horses in our modern world develop ulcers at some time. So I will do Miracle Clay one week out of every month as a detox and as a ulcer prevention. And again, that can go right onto the clay water, can go right onto that handful. Um, you can also use hay pellets. So I have alfalfa cubes or alfalfa hay pellets for one week out of each month. I'll do um about a quarter to a half a scoop soaked and I'll add in that and I'll do that for about a week as a preventative. But you could do that with a hay pellet soaked daily if you wanted to, to add your prebiotics and also your miracle clay for ulcers. Um, so anyways, uh, getting to the one she asked about number four, the beet pulp, um, old traditions die hard for people. I grew up doing, um, wheat bran and, you know, if you do straight wheat bran and not, uh, they can get that big head disease. I think it's something to do with the, uh, phosphorus and, um, and, uh, calcium balance, you know, the getting the one, one too much, too much phosphorus and not enough calcium. So, so with beet pulp though, the way that they're grown, they're all GMO and they all are, um, treated with pesticides and stuff, the way they're grown. And, um, and same thing, rice bran can have arsenic levels are generally low, but there's a lot of things out there. You don't even think about corn oil and vegetable oils. Um, can make it difficult for fat soluble vitamins to be absorbed correctly so that's why I do the free choice minerals including the natural salt for my horses and they just kind of get what they need when they need it um but yeah I know it's kind of crazy you have to think about all this stuff there's a a lot of times even organic farms have trouble with staying organic because the neighbor farmer you know on a windy day is out there doing his thing with his fertilizers and chemicals sprayers for bugs or uh, weeds and it blows onto the organic farm so it's just not easy and and you know the quality of the soil these days is not the same so that's why people were like well if you're eating healthy why would you need vitamins well it's kind of hard to eat healthy just because the way things are nowadays but um you know just those are things to think about and again everybody's an individual so Um, ignoring what's obvious is number five, what your horse is trying to tell you. If they're chewing on tails or wood or eating dirt, licking metal. Um, There might be a mineral deficiency that they're trying to fill or salt or something, Um, electrolyte, that kind of thing. Um, Number six, you want to be careful what's in your feed. You know, some preservatives. Um, You got to be careful with feeds that um, feed mills that mix cow feeds with horse feeds because God forbid you wouldn't want that to get into your horse feed, something that was only for cattle, um, And number seven, um, confusing price with cost. A lot of times people will buy something cheaper and, you know, it might be made out of China. Like I've seen MSM from China and then it's got fillers in it. It's not the quality. And then I've used MSM from Dynamite and the quality is a million times better. So, um, you know, healthy horses, you won't be seeing the vet. You won't have colics. You won't have allergies. You won't have all these other issues. So, that's what confusing price of cost is. Um, you don't want to buy the cheap, you know, chelated minerals are way better quality than the ones that are oxides or sulfates or carbonates. And you almost need a PhD degree to know the difference on, um, what minerals are balanced with others. And that's why it's just important to trust who you use, um, for that kind of thing. So I'm going to go ahead and answer the next question now. Um, that was about the anxiety and the panic attacks and equaling alley issues, so please listen to that podcast I made It's a thirty minute podcast um but the answer to that is be very, very aware that you can relax sometimes um smiling and exhaling, saying a little prayer for you and your horse to have fun and be safe, and just learning how to center yourself and breathe um can lower your blood pressure. Um, you know, you can, uh, meditate. Um, just pay attention that you're relaxing your hands, your body and your legs, all of those things, you know, think of happy things and all of that will help relax you. So, um, and be aware of why you're getting uptight and, and address it. But again, listen to that podcast and that will help that. The next question is about long scores and short scores. Um, and uh, that can absolutely change, especially on the arena. You know, that can change. Now, long score, it doesn't really change. You always want to go up the middle and then to your sweet spot for your arc and then your spot one and two. Um, but a short score can it can make it where you can't go right to your uh, arc because it's so close to the mouth of the arena. You have to go to a little bit wider arc on some pins. So you definitely have to think about it. Um, you also need to think about if you have a stiff rollback horse, that horse is generally going to need a bigger arc. If you have a, a big horse or a little horse that's really bendy in the rib cage and four-wheel drive, um, whether they're big or small, they can still turn with a smaller arc because of their style. So, you know, pay attention to your individual horse. Pay attention to the arena setup. And again, this is why journaling is important. If it worked, do it again. If it didn't work, make adjustments. So that's important. So the topic is today, uh, what drill to use when. And we're going to go ahead and get right into that. Oh, I forgot um, two more things before I go into the topic. Uh, The other question was about uh, a horse getting upset when... um, All of a sudden being mean to other horses that he wasn't mean to before. Um, And all of a sudden acting up in the turnout in the pasture. So again, I always want you to go back to what has changed. Okay. Anytime your horse starts acting different, you need to say what's changed. Were they off for vacation or injury? Were they stalled and then turned out? Were they added to a mix of new horses? horses or mares and geldings. If you have geldings, sometimes you can change the whole dynamic of your herd by throwing a mare in the mix. Um, Moving to a new location uh, can upset your horse for a while. Just like people or children, uh, change is not easy for anyone. Um, Obviously, if uh, some horses handle it better, those horses usually excel at being rodeo horses. But even those horses have a routine that they like. Maybe they like a buddy horse or a buddy goat or pony. Uh, Maybe uh, they just have a certain routine that they know works for their horse so anytime you move your horse to a new herd a new location um, give them time to settle in it just takes time just like you don't really like change and it takes you time to get into a routine of a new job or a new uh, home or or whatever I know when I sold my home of 19 years and um, paid for this ranch here um, it was only five acres, but it was all different neighbors. We never had neighbors before. Uh, my horses took a while to adjust. We never had deer jumping in the pasture. They had to get used to that. So, so all of those changes took them time to settle in. So just remember to have patience. Um, and then back on the diet thing, Um, In the summertime, I also add uh, Dinah Spark. It's an organic blackstrap molasses electrolytes, and I can put that right in the soaked hay pellet or soaked hay cube, and again, I don't give them a lot of anything. It's just maybe a half a scoop when it's soaked, and it's just enough to give them their um, chelated vitamin and mineral, their prebiotic, uh, their ulcer prevention, and their um, electrolytes in the summer runs. And it's not a whole lot of anything. A half ounce of the electrolyte, Dynaspark, two cc of the Dynapro prebiotic. Um, Miracle Clay is a clay water mix, and it's about one to two ounces of that. Um, and then uh, it's one ounce of the chelated vitamin and mineral mix. So uh, that's just something that, I've always done um, for my horses and, you know, every bit of horses should look awesome right now because they're shedding their winter coat and they all will shine and bloom. If you're feeding your horse quality hay and you groom them on a regular basis, you don't need a bunch of supplements or any of that. But when you are adding in toxic things or stress or competition, that's when you may need to start adding things for recovery and, um, you know, prevention and and stuff like that for joints or um you know such so a few of my clients are on tnt when my mares are competing tnt is basically everything else i talked about plus the joint supplement so it's an all-in-one you give one cup of pellets a day so you know everybody has their own routine you know there's a lot of different brands out there and um you find what works for you and go from there so topic um, When to use what drill. So uh, basically you can go to... the chapter five and it talks about it but you'll often hear me refer to d-pattern for most people um the d-pattern i like it because i find that um, people that don't finish their turns by using their inside hip and shoulder the d pattern's is really good for you it'll get you to do it if you do it one-handed you'll learn to ride more with your eyes and um, body and need less rein and leg so um it's also great for the horse that needs to separate rate and turn by rating before the barrel and not turning till after the barrel so it works for the anticipating horse or the free runner. So D patterns probably a go-to that I use quite often for new clients. For riders that need to learn to ride more body, more seat, and less rein. Um, you know, maybe more leg and seat, that kind of thing. Uh, the next one would be single barrel. Um, I like it on the pattern because it breaks the pattern into pieces. And um, when you need to perfect transitions and perfect circles. And try to get a horse to be four-wheel drive with flex and fluidity. And not stiff and rollback-y or front endy. This is a great thing to do on the pattern. Not only that, it breaks it into pieces. So it allows the rider to get their timing and position and their feel of being in the moment of riding to their arc and their spots one, two, and three on first. And then just your um, spots one, two, and three on second and third. Also knowing how to get your horse in the hole um, from your seat and your legs and how to get your horse to pivot out from your uh, seat and legs. So that's important too. As every barrel has their pivot spots and every barrel has their get in the hole area as well. So I do like that one. Um, Number three, spirals. I think spirals is really important when you have horses that feel like runaways um, because it teaches speed control and balance. I like it for the young horse because it does teach the balance with the transitions. So I'll work from a large to a medium to a small based on what room you have available. Maybe a hundred foot large, maybe a... 60 to 80 foot medium, and then maybe a 20 foot small, and then back out again to medium large. And again, this teaches uh, speed control, it teaches balance transitions, and again, riding from your waist down with your seat and legs. And your hand can just if you have to rate your horse with your hand and you're riding one handed um, or even two handed two-handed you'll use a little bit more balance rein to keep your horse between your hands and ride with your seat Um, but if you're riding with one hand you'll bring your hand back and bump with your seat and hand back at the same time for rate but you don't pull it's a rhythm it's just going with the horse's motion and it's a give and take so that's important to know. Um, The next one pole bending I like poles for any horse uh, whether you never compete in poles and just want to do it for your barrel horse or your colt training it's great because it teaches suppleness uh, leg laterals it um, is a nice change of pace it teaches collection and again you can treat your impulse just like a barrel turn as far as getting to your spots one and two and your pivot area coming out so pulls is great again for suppleness collection leg laterals and a change of pace um, number five the windmill or cross drill which is Um, in the group has going to be as a group challenge this week Um, I like it because it gives that fluid circle into a straight line and you do it four times so it's it keeps that consistency you do all lefts all rights with just one barrel so it doesn't take a lot of space if you don't have your own arena and you just have one little round pin type area to work in you can make it work um, one of my next favorites, number six is all lefts and all rights. Um, and th- I'm going to order of my favorite six, not out of the book right now, by the way. Um, and I'll, I have one more number seven, which is my figure eights, but number six is all lefts and all rights. Um, you can do it with three barrels, just like the, the pattern, or you can do it four barrels like a square and, um. And I I like that one for horses that anticipate and want to turn a barrel at their shoulder. I like it for riders who want to turn too soon um, because it makes you ride a circle and a half around each barrel and it makes you ride their hind quarters as well as their front feet to each quarter turn. It teaches the rider to look between the ears. It can make a hot horse learn how to relax if you do it at a walk or a sit-jog. It can make the stiff horse more fluid. It can teach the young horse to not cut you off and anticipate. It teaches the rider to ride the middle and ride the quarter turn. So it's a good one. Um, number eight, my figure eights, you can do it with the simple transitions of walk, trot, canner. Or, or lope um, or you can do it um, with a snap as well if you need to get your horse's feet a little bit more handy. So those are some of my main cues that I like but please read the chapter and I go into I mean those are seven of my favorite drills um, but I go into it in detail. Um, I also do the hind end turns. I talk about riding squares and rectangles. Um, I think that's really important, especially if you horse, have a horse that doesn't use their butt enough or doesn't travel straight lines or one that maybe overbends. Um, it's great for uh, getting that collection and riding um, you know, using their hindquarters and being more balanced. Um, that's a good one as well for those horses that are maybe a little bit too bendy, um, or too strung out. Um, I think that's really a good one for them as well. So those are my seven or eight top favorite, um, ones that I go to a lot. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and close here with, uh, with a couple of things I want to mention. Um, I have a clinic, like I said, coming up in May in Hudson and it's full. And then I have a clinic in June in Lady Lake and it's full. And I'm looking forward to those clinics because I'm going to change my clinics up a little bit where I can do them by myself. It's just getting too hard to coordinate with other people. Plus it'll give me more one-on-one with each rider. I can take less riders and spend more quality time with each rider. You know, obviously the price is going to depend on the arenas that I'm renting for my away clinics but my home clinics is different um so with that said um I used to start my clinics with always saying there's nothing better than hearing the announcer say the new time to beat or the winner is and your name followed behind it but recently I've um I've really um realized because I've been doing this for so long 8 years in Colorado and um oh about 19 straight years in Florida and then the last couple of years I've slowed down I haven't had a training horse in my barn since May of 2020 so um but I used to say that and now I don't now I say it's actually the um The memories. It's that connection and that bond that you developed over the years with horses and riders and um, just the memories. So that's really what's important. And um, I think of my girls now. I feel very grateful that my mares, you know, Belle gave me about 15 years and Maggie only gave me about five years because of a a lame right foot. Um, And she was a client's horse that I just got attached to and kept her. and then of course Briscoe gave me 15 years um sister probably gave me a good 10 years um I bought most three of those mares at three years old and trained them myself and started competing on them their maturity year as five-year-olds and um so they gave me decade, you know 15 years you know longer than you know a decade of of amazing memories and with that um they gave me so much try, you know, on all those years of competition, it makes me happy now that I can let them retire, you know, um, Maggie, Bell's 25, Maggie's 24, Briscoe's 20, sister's 19, time has flown by, you know, I still have Rocky, he's only six now, um, he'll be six next month, um, but I, I think of, um, all the time that they gave me and and God willing, if I can continue to provide for them and let them live out a happy life, retired, you know, Briscoe around 2019, I could tell she didn't want to barrel race anymore. She wanted to be retired like the other horses and just enjoy life. And, and I knew that was coming. Um, so I promised her when I got Rocky going, she could retire and, um, I wanted to keep using her for videos in my group and things like that, but, but as far as competition and stuff, you know, I think she's done. So, um, she wants to be retired and and I at this point need to retire, so, uh, until I get my hip fixed and then when I get it fixed I'm just going to focus on Rocky and let her enjoy her retirement um, you know there just comes a time where you can tell your horse that gave you so much just doesn't have the desire anymore and after 15 years she gave plenty so so anyways I, I think if you can love your animals that way um, you know I recall times of how much talent they had And I'm sharing this with you because it may touch your life with your horses in some way, but I remember the time that they had so much talent and I had so much passion and drive for it. Um, It's such an intimate connection that you develop with your horses. Those moments that you're so in sync with them, whether you're practicing or in competition and you're like totally in the zone with them, Um, you're just in awe of them and and I think that's why I've always been one who couldn't sell them and I, um, I pray I won't ever have to, you know, I get so attached to them, you know, I love them. So I do know being in my 20s um, to 40s, I was completely in my prime and uh, I gave it all you know, I had what I see a lot of my clients have now, you know, I was raising my son and I had a traveling husband and I had my training business and I was competing on three horses all the time and it was just a wonderful life. So, but I'm going to wrap it up now and um, I just want to let you know that you know, I'm really happy for those of you out there living your dream and just know that every horse you meet is going to teach you something. Every person's going to teach you something and, um, just embrace it because every part of your book of life has a different chapter and there's a time for change. There's a time to, um, have that passion and drive. And and I just want you to truly enjoy it. And you know, you know, when you're ready for that next step in your life, like me now, I'm happy coaching and clinics and lessons and enjoying my farm, you know, and, and my, my lifestyle now. So anyways, to all of you out there living your dream and in your prime, go for it. So God bless you all. And if you're enjoying this group, the best gift you can give back to me is refer a friend to join the group as well. So remember to always ride with heart and thank you for listening to this podcast.